Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. sailors and welcome to not just a sports report now today i am jumping in to part one of my two-part ufc preview and predictions this is a huge card coming up this weekend sunday australian time ufc paris the first ever ufc card taking place in france it's going to be a hell of a show we've got cyril garn and Tai Tuavasa in the main event, and I will speak at length about that in the main card podcast. Huge implications for the title picture of the heavyweight division going forward. So there is a lot at stake in the main event. The same can be said in the co-main event. It seems like the best middleweights at the moment below Israel Adesanya and, of course, Alex Pereira at the moment. Well, the two guys who've beaten everyone in front of them except Israel twice, now they do battle to see exactly where they stand amongst the division at 185 pounds. Robert the Reaper Whitaker taking on Marvin Vittori, the Italian who I am sure will have plenty of support in this Paris crowd. Some other fun matches across the main card as well. And the first ever card in Paris. First ever card in France as well. So there is going to be a French flavor across the card. Today, it's all about part one. I'm going to go through the preliminary card. And I'll keep the main card as a separate podcast. I feel like that's the easiest way for the listener to digest. I'm going to throw up timestamps. So if there are only a few particular matches that you want to know about, well, you can skip straight to those or you can listen through the whole way. Now, essentially, preview and predictions, you may not know. It depends. Um, People are at different levels. You may be someone who watches all the time, maybe someone who trains and has more knowledge than I do. You may be someone who's just planning to bet on the card and you'd like to know a little bit more about the fighters. Maybe you're somewhere in between. But regardless, welcome to the podcast, or if you're listening again, Thanks for coming back, and premium predictions, basically if there are any fighters that you don't know about, I'm going to give you some information to help you base your ideas, or at least get pumped for the card. So each of these fighters, they all have an interesting story, and it's going to be fun getting into it, and of course, trying to predict the outcomes. So hoping for a really strong card this weekend, I will be throwing some bets up as well which we'll be checking back up on on the weekend for the Live Reactions UFC Thoughts and Comments podcast. Now, I saw a couple of variations for the lineup of this card, but I'm just going to go with what Google says. Trusting in Google here, not sponsored, unfortunately. I'm sure they'd have some fat sponsorship cash. If anyone is at Google listening, um, yeah, you guys can sponsor me if you like. But look, today I'm going to jump into the main card. My throat sounds a bit fucking... I need to clear it, but look, this is an unconventional take, and 
I'm pretty close to hitting the music and getting into the opening fight, so just bear with me for a second. We've got the lineup. Today's all about the preliminary card. Six fights on that portion, so now let's get to it. UFC Paris preliminary card. Let's get amongst it. Trusting you, Google. I'm trusting that this is the correct opening fight. I'm fairly sure this is what's been chosen as the opener. We have women's featherweight action as Stephanie Egger, who is returning after a very awkward and interesting performance last time out. Now Egger is taking a short notice fight and she moves up to 145 pounds, women's featherweight action as she takes on UFC debutante in the Argentinian Eileen Perez. I'm going to start with Stephanie Egger, who fought just less than a month ago, and I actually backed her in in that fight. I picked her to win by decision, but Myra Bueno Silva, who was her opponent, a very high-level opponent. I actually think very highly of Bueno Silva, but the fight between them was really strange. There was a submission, but for like the viewer, you couldn't see the angle. Even the commentators couldn't quite see the angle. Herb Dean and a judge, they insisted that they saw it, but it was really interesting and weird because it opened the card. It was like a really strange way to open the proceedings. A lot of confusion, like was there a tap? It was ruled that there was. And I spoke about it on the Thoughts and Comments podcast. And I'll count that as a loss. I would say there was a tap. And it seems like people saw it. But Stephanie Egger insisting that there wasn't. So she lost by submission, but very strange circumstances. If you actually didn't see the fight, and maybe you just went back and checked through the record and just saw it as a plain submission loss. It was, I believe it was a submission loss. But just really strange circumstances. And you just know Stephanie Egger was obviously chomping at the bit to get back in at the first opportunity she got. There was a short notice opportunity presented in the form of Eileen Perez. And Stephanie Egger has taken it. So it definitely seems like she's in that mindset. She didn't take a lot of damage in the last fight. And I think she's really got something to prove here. So... Massive danger opponent is Stephanie Egger for the UFC debutante. And Egger insisted that there was no tap out. Now, Bueno Silva, Herb Dean, and one of the judges on the night, they disagree. So that's enough for me. And it is an interesting kind of little storyline coming into this one is the Stephanie Egger narrative. Swiss star is wasting no time in bouncing back. She had two straight wins heading into that loss. So Egger, she wants another win, essentially, to say, forget about that last performance. That was just a fucking rogue operation, that one. And if she gets straight back to winning ways, well, then her stock begins to rise again. Egger is replacing French veteran Zara Fan, who I think Eileen Perez would have definitely beaten. But yeah, it's unfortunate for the French fighter in fan that she has to drop out. But for Stephanie Egger, 
Well, I really like this matchup because she's obviously keen to make amends and really bounce back in the biggest way. But then on the other side, you have a more natural featherweight, although someone who's also spent time as a bantamweight, that being Eileen Perez. The Argentinian is ready to make moves in the 145 pound division, which definitely needs some more stars. It, they need to make a bit more of an effort to start bringing some extra featherweights in. So very intrigued as to how this goes. Perez enters with a seven and one record. And the key statistic is that the Argentinian has five finishes from her seven wins. So she's not a point fighter. She goes out there looking for the finish, as does Stephanie Egger, which makes this a fantastic stylistic matchmake to open the card. Eileen's only loss was via disqualification. So that again is a really interesting note. And look, she's got no shortage of confidence. She says on her Instagram bio that she is 8-0 undefeated. It wasn't a legal knee uh, that caused her to be disqualified. But Eileen Perez, look, she's clearly got tickets on herself. She's nicknamed Fiona, and she's a top-level Latin American female fighter. She's amongst the best handful, although after watching some of the tape under Samurai Fight House, it's hard to tell because she seemed like she was up against good fighters and she had a great skill set. But I was watching some tape on YouTube and I don't know, like maybe this was the pandemic because I believe it was in Brazil. So it does make total sense. But I just felt like when I was watching the production level, and this isn't, it's weird because you can't really judge a fighter, right? And she could be up against the most lethal fighters in the world. You don't necessarily need an audience or crisp production. That's not the point I'm trying to make, but it just seems like the stage that she was fighting on and again, maybe it was a pandemic thing, but it just, it felt far away, far, very far away from what I think it's going to be like to fight in Paris. Now, for her, it's the opening fight, so it's probably a good time to come in and make your Octagon debut. But it was just, yeah, after seeing it on YouTube, I was like, fuck, I, I think she's really good and... The opponents she's facing are like, I, should, I mean, they'd beat me in a fight, right? So it's hard to tell. I don't know whether to read too much into the production level, but it did feel like it's going to be a massive step up for her to now enter into the UFC. And it's going to have a totally different feel about it. And she's not going to have much time to settle. She had one opponent. Now that's changed. And her new opponent is just in such a mindset to respond. She's got octagon experience. She's earned finishes in the UFC. So real danger matchup for Eileen Perez, but I am ultimately excited to see what she can do. Fiona is her nickname and she is 27 years old from Argentina. Eileen trains at Kaishi Fight Team and this is her UFC debut. Three first round finishes for Perez with four of her seven wins by knockout. Let's see. I mean, it wouldn't be awesome if she can open the show with a finish over somebody the caliber of Stephanie Egger. Speaking of Stephanie, time to jump into her profile. 
and the 34-year-old is representing Switzerland, training at Buddy Gym, and look, the major difference, in my opinion, huge point of difference in this fight, is Egger's style. Stephanie is a judo black belt, that is her specialty, very elite, high-level grappling. So Eileen Perez seems like she's going to be able to kind of take a lot of what Stephanie Egger can throw at her, but Stephanie Eggert really does have a strong grappling prowess. Cannot be understated, trying to think how to word this. Her judo is very high level. And given that Eileen Perez, this is her UFC debut, we don't really have a large sample size. And as I mentioned, the production level and just the feeling when I was watching her tape on YouTube... It just feels like Stephanie Egger is a huge step up. Egger has a UFC record that stands at 2-2, two and two, with 6 stoppages in her 7 pro wins. 5 of those coming in the first round. Stephanie Egger is a fighter that always has finishing intent. That is one thing I really like about her. It means that her fights usually have plenty of action. 6 stoppages from her 7 wins. That suggests every time she's going out there, she is looking for the finish. She's managed to get five in the first round. Egger, very dangerous matchup for Perez. That's why I like this one, because I haven't seen enough of Perez. And I like to watch these tests. It's like, okay, if Perez passes the test, it's a very stern assignment on debut. So then it's upward trajectory. Very interesting opener. But yeah, I am very high on the abilities of Stephanie Egger. The level of competition and experience definitely favours Stephanie Egger. She's been in the UFC, she's been against top level fighters, and for Perez, her level of competition, I'm not exactly sure, but her experience, I don't think she's ever going to have experienced anything like UFC Paris. Both women have been fairly active as well. Looking at the 2022 form, for um, Stephanie Egger, sorry, fucking bit lost there. Stephanie Egger actually opened the year with a super impressive round one submission over Jessica Rose Clark. Again, the grappling that I talked about and the takedowns of Stephanie Egger was on full show. Jessica Rose Clark made one mistake and she was made to pay for it. Then it was the Bueno Silva loss that I talked about. Really strange circumstances. So it's one and one for Egger so far this year. She wants to get that ledger in the positive and make that two and one. For Perez, Arlene Perez has two technical knockout wins under the Samurai Fight House banner. And I was impressed with what I saw, but I just keep going back to levels. There are levels to the game. And this is definitely her first test at the highest level, in my opinion. For Perez though, I do think this is more her natural weight class than it is for Stephanie Egger. Egger is looking to make her run as a bantamweight, although maybe the move up to featherweight could pay dividends. I know it's on short notice, she'll most likely go back down to bantamweight, but who knows, featherweight are in need of some stars. Finish factor in this one, I actually think is fairly high. I think there's a good chance of a finish. Stephanie Egger is going to have major intent to get the stoppage. She's also going to be coming off that really deflating performance 
and she's looking to get momentum back immediately. Then you have Eileen Perez, and again, she's such an unknown entity to me. So I'm definitely going to be up at 2 in the morning, Australian time, when this starts. I am really interested to see what Eileen Perez can do in this one. You've got a promising debutante up against a fired-up judoka. This has all the makings for a fantastic opener. I'll jump onto the professional records. Eileen Perez enters this one with a professional record, as I mentioned a bit earlier, standing at seven wins and one loss. The one loss was a disqualification for illegal knees, but as far as the wins for Perez, look, she likes to finish the fight as well. Four wins by knockout slash technical knockout. She also has a submission win and two decisions. So there are a variety of ways that she can get the win. Seemingly though, she likes to chase those knockouts. Then you have Stephanie Egger, who also likes to chase the finish. Five first round finishes for Stephanie Egger, whose record stands at seven and three. Six of her seven wins have been by stoppage, three knockouts, three submissions, and one decision win. As far as the losses for Stephanie Egger, her three losses include one submission and two decisions. So she's never been knocked out. And when you look at Eileen Perez's record, four technical knockouts slash knockouts. So that seems to be the way she wants to go. Stephanie Egger is, I think, on a slightly higher level at this stage. So a few questions. I got a few questions about this matchup. And that's why I love doing the Thoughts and Comments podcast on the weekend because that podcast is all about having a look at some of the answers to these questions. Really keen to see, is Eileen Perez up for it, or is Stephanie Egger going to be too good? Stylistically, I think control's the key. I mean, for Perez, she's just got to make sure that she does not get outgrappled. Stephanie Egger, she's going to be looking to finish the fight. So I think if this one's a really close one, and it goes the distance... Control is going to be the key in terms of the grappling exchanges and definitely damage as well when it comes to the exchanges on the feet and on the mat. It's going to be finish intent. I do think it'll be grappling heavy. So I think Egg is going to be looking for the submission whilst I think on the other side, Arlene Perez, she's probably going to just be hoping to win any possible way, but I think she'll be looking for a big knockout as well just to really announce herself on debut. I've kind of already said my opinion on this match. The main highlight for me is it seems like Stephanie Egger is on a different level to the debutante. And for Eileen Perez, it's a great, just a perfect way to see where are both of these ladies at in the landscape of both featherweight and women's bantamweight as well, realistically. Time to go my prediction I was a bit umming and ahhing whether to go for this one to go the distance. Originally, I was going to say yes, so I'm kind of wary against picking a finish here. My initial thought was that this one was going to go the full 15 minutes, but I'm actually going to go Stephanie Egger. I mean, that's no surprise, probably after the way I've kind of previewed this fight, but I'm going to take her by submission because I am throwing some money down this weekend. So I'm going to take Stephanie Egger over Arlene Perez by submission. 
I think I'm also going to do a hedge for like Stephanie Egger by decision or submission because I still do think this one could go the distance, but I'm predicting a big bounce back, a response in a big way from the Swiss superstar. I'm going to take Stephanie Egger to open us up with a submission victory, which has pretty sweet odds as well. $3.25. We don't in Australia do you. Minus 500s and shit. I honestly kind of know what that means and kind of don't. I'm like, oh, what's minus 600? Uh. Um, but I do know what $3.25 is. So it can triple your money. So I'm going to go with Stephanie Egger by submission. Try and get some juicy method of victories this weekend to really get those bets going. So I'm going to go with the finish. First card in France. Stephanie Egger clearly wants to be in there fighting and Eileen Perez, the production value. Has she been let down by the production value? I don't know. Maybe she's way better than I see. But it just... UFC, Paris, and the crowd has a de- very different feel to what I was getting very respectfully, in the greatest respect, to Samurai Fight House on YouTube, who I'm sure actually very high level just the production and watching it on YouTube, it just, maybe that swayed me. Because I was definitely going to go for Eileen Perez up against Zara Fine, But now, yeah, Stephanie Egger, I just think she's on a different level. She's got a very fired up mindset. How's this one going to go? I'm taking Stephanie Egger by submission. So we'll check back up with that one on the Thoughts and Comments podcast. Stephanie Egger by submission. Now, let's get on to our next fight. Next up, we are going to be treated to some bantamweight division action as Khalid Taha takes on a UFC debutante, taking this one on short notice as well in Mexico's Christian Quinoez. I'll start with Khalid Taha who has been around in the UFC for a decent stint now. But this is Khalid's first fight since July last year. And he does enter Paris on a two-fight losing streak, with Khalid suffering back-to-back decision losses against Haoni Barcelos, and then most recently, Sergei Morozov. Khalid Taha is a fighter that has a lot of potential, but he's yet to really be able to transition that form onto the big stage under the bright lights. For Khalid, it has been over three years since his last victory. He did have a win somewhere in there that was later ruled a no contest because he was on, I believe, banned substances. So that is interesting as well. Only win in the last three years, banned substances changed to a no contest. So over three years since the last real win for Khalid Taha, been a while in between drinks. His opponent is Christian Canoes, who replaces the French fighter Taylor Lapalus, who unfortunately had to pull out of this one through injury. For Christian Canoes, he was originally slated to make his UFC debut in August, but that fight was scratched against, I believe it was Yusuf Zalal. 
Christian won a contract to the UFC on Dana White Contender Series, and his last bout was that Contender Series showing a unanimous decision win over Zhao Long. Christian rides a four-fight win streak into this one as well, so there is a contrast in that respect. It's his promotional debut, but he comes in form up against Khalid Taha, who has the experience edge, he has the level of competition edge, but it's been over three years since his last victory. In that time, Quinoez, well, it seems like all he's been doing is winning. So definitely interesting two fighters at very different points in their respective careers. I think this is a low-key banger alert as well. Both guys have heavy hands. They've usually got intent to really put on a show. So this is one you might not really know much about either fighter, but I'm going to slap the tag on it. This is a low-key banger alert. So get excited for this one. As far as the profiles, I'll start with Christian Alnino Problema Quinoez. He is a 26-year-old from Mexico, and Christian trains at Entram Gym. So he's definitely training at a very high level, and I'm excited to see whether, unlike Khalid Taha, can Christian transition this awesome run he's been on onto the biggest stage. Quinoez is a striker, it's his UFC debut, and a pretty stiff assignment up against Khalid Taha. Nicknamed the Warrior, Khalid is a 30-year-old who represents both Germany and Lebanon as well. So a couple of different areas in the world that are going to be very pumped for this fight. Khalid trains at Arena Dortmund, and his style revolves around the power in his hands. Khalid is a knockout specialist, very powerful bombs for someone at 135 pounds. Going into this one, Khalid has a UFC record that stands at one win, three losses, and one no contest. But Khalid, he was 12-1 and prior to entering the UFC. So the promise was there. The potential was there for everyone to see. He's had time to learn the ropes, to really get kind of just a bit of an idea on exactly how high a level the UFC is. There's so much promise for Khalid Taha. Can he deliver going into this one? Really good record as he entered the UFC, but since one win, three losses, one no contest. So vital time in Khalid Taha's career. As far as both guys and the advantages, they are very evenly matched in a lot of their skill sets, which is why I think this is a fun matchup to have second on the card. Level of competition definitely goes to Khalid Taha, and he's also going to have that European support. Representing Germany, and there are a lot of German fighters on this card as well, so I'm expecting a strong German presence, as well as a French presence, and a few other European nations. I'm sure plenty of Italians are going to be out in support of Marvin Vittori, and hey, hopefully we've got some Aussies and Kiwis out there to get around Taitu Avasa and, of course, Robert Whittaker. But in terms of this matchup, the home crowd are going to be right behind Khalid Taha, and that could definitely come into play. Height and reach favours Quinoas, but we'll have to see. That may not necessarily matter. 
because all it takes is for Khalid Taha to clip you once and you can be in devastating trouble. I mentioned that this was going to be a low-key banger alert as well. That means in this one, I think the finish factor is high. Both are natural strikers. I'm expecting this one to take place on the feet. And look, hopefully, even if there isn't a knockout, I would love to see a very high level, properly intense fight where both guys are chasing that big knockout. Finish factor high in this one. You've got Taha fighting for momentum and potentially fighting for his UFC career. Then you have Quinoez chasing that statement win on debut. Stylistically, I think this one's going to be a brawl. Both guys are going to be trying to find their range and outstrike their opponent. They both possess knockout power, so if one of them clips the other, I do think we could see a situation where one of the fighters is compromised and then it really turns into a finish fest. But there's also the other reality where they're very evenly matched and where it goes the distance. So trying to work out exactly which way I'm going to go in this one, I always like to have a look at the professional records. If I'm ever unsure, sometimes I like to lean into that. So let's get into the pro records, starting with that of Khalid Taha. He enters this one 13-4 and 1 no contest. Khalid has 6 first round finishes on his resume, with 11 of his 13 wins coming by way of stoppage. So you just know Khalid Taha, he's chasing the win the only way he knows how, to get it done within the distance. And as I mentioned, like, was it going to go the distance? Was it going to go to a finish? Well, I do like to read into some of our stats. Six first round finishes, 11 of 13 wins by stoppage. That tells me if Khalid Taha wins, he probably gets it done within the distance, most likely. The intent is there, so you know he's going to be coming with the intent to finish it. If you do go and bet on this one to go the distance, it's going to be nerve-wracking. It will be nerve-wracking because the intent's going to be there to finish. Key statistic for Khalid Taha, 9 of 13 wins by way of knockout. So clear as day, Khalid Taha, he's going to be looking to knock his opponent out. Although his opponent in Christian Quinoez is going to have an opportunity to study tape and he's going to be spending plenty of his time trying to train around that. Interesting note though, Quinoez has taken this on short notice, so he hasn't had a full camp to try and adjust and prepare for a veal... Fucking can't speak English, got too excited there, sorry. Uh, for a very real threat on the feet in Khalid Taha. So the short preparation, it could really play into the hands quite literally of Khalid Taha, 9 of 13 wins by knockout, and he's also got 2 submissions and 2 decision wins. Another look at Khalid Taha's record, this time at his losses, 3 of his 4 losses have come by way of decision, and he's been submitted once. So my key stat for Khalid Taha, no knockout losses across 18 pro fights. So he loves to get the knockout, he hasn't been knocked out. That's what we know looking at the pro record of Khalid Taha. On to Christian Quinoez 
And look, he's very experienced entering the UFC. 17-3 record, four first-round finishes. Nine of Christian's 17 wins have come by way of knockout, which takes me to my key stat for Khalid Taha. No knockout losses across 18 pro fights. Nine of 17 wins by knockout for Quinoas. There's your stylistic matchup right there. You've got Quinoas, who, look, if he's going to get the finish, knockout seems like the way. Same for Khalid Taha. Fucking oath. I'm excited. I'm excited. That's why I like to do the preview and predictions, because the more you read into it, i got to give it to the UFC. 99 times out of 100, the stylistic matchmaking is really sound. There are so many elements deeper when you look into the layers of the fight that really make it exciting. And that stylistically is what it is here for me, is that both guys love a knockout. Both durable, and it's going to be a hot crowd, I'm sure. So one hell of a way to bounce off the opener and really keep this card going strong. Looking at the overall wins for Christian Quinoez, nine knockout wins, three submissions, as well as five decision victories. My other key stat for Christian Quinoez, two of his three losses have come by way of knockout. So Khalid Taha, a knockout specialist, the main way Quinoez has lost has been by knockout. So look, Taha hasn't been knocked out. Quinoez has. Is that our edge in this fight? Does that swing in favor of Khalid Taha now? And maybe Khalid Taha by knockout. Is this what all signs are pointing to? I can't tell. Is the universe giving me a sign or am I overthinking it? In my raw opinion, I really don't know. I was going to go Khalid Taha, but I'm actually going to switch. I'm going to go the underdog here. Going for plenty of value to kick off this card. I'm taking Christian Quinoez by decision. I don't think Khalid Taha is going to get knocked out. I think if there is a knockout, it's actually going to be Khalid knocking Christian out. But I think this one goes the distance. Hard to tell. But I'm going to favor Christian Quinoez. Mainly just because of recent form, to be honest. He's been winning. He's been building himself up. Khalid Taha has kind of hit a block in the road. And it's up to him to respond. I think when times get tough in this one as well, well, we've seen these Mexican fighters. They, they're just otherworldly tough. So if Christian Quinoez has some of that Mexican toughness that we have seen on display from plenty of other fighters, Brandon Moreno being the first that comes to mind, well, I think we're going to see one hell of a contest. And I'm going to back Mexico's underdog in here. Christian Quinoez by decision over Khaled Taha. Not super confident with this pick, but it is going to be a, have a bit of fun to play around with the odds. Uh, I haven't checked the odds for this yet, but I know Quinoez is the underdog. And so I'm going to take him to win. Quinoez by decision. And geez, I've been waffling on. So let's now get into our next fight. We are going to have some very high-level grappling on display. A lightweight contest between a Brazilian debutante in MMA Masters product, 
Gabriel Fly Miranda, who steps up on short notice to replace Christos Giagos. Gabriel Miranda debuts on short notice, and we're going to have some more French flavor to this card. Miranda taking on the hometown hero, Benoit Saint Denis. Benoit Saint Denis debuted last October at UFC 267. He was a late notice call up at welterweight, losing to Elysio Zaleski dos Santos. It was a unanimous decision loss. And look, Benoit Saint Denis, he's a lightweight. So he was already up at welterweight. Probably not his natural, definitely not really his natural weight class. And he was tough as hell. A lot of controversy toward the referee for actually not stopping the fight. Benoit Saint-Denis, realistically that fight should have been stopped. He took a lot of damage. Sorry, someone fucking... Oh, we got a bot. A bot just followed us. Oh no, they're requesting to follow my personal. Damn, I thought the podcast was growing, but it looks like this bot. Uh, cryptocurrency bot. A lot of fake profiles out there. A lot of fucking scamming going on. But yeah, I'm not going to go on a tangent right now. But isn't there just a lot of scamming and shit going on in the world? Scam calls and stuff. It's like, fuck off. You go to any comment section on Instagram. And all the bots. What are we doing about that? Nothing? Is nothing being done about that? Anyway, back to Benoit Saint-Denis. And that fight against Zaleski dos Santos. Tough as hell. Like, he definitely took some damage that will accumulate eventually. But... Yeah, it was a great, just, I guess, way to look at him and be like, okay, this dude's tough as fuck, he's not going to give up. And in his more natural weight class of lightweight, Benoit Saint-Denis could be a real problem. Now, Saint-Denis returned to the octagon in June, this time in the lightweight division, and he earned a round two submission win over Nicholas Stoles. So that gave him the momentum he needed, starting to build his brand up, and now he gets the opportunity to really be presented as a massive star in front of a French audience. His opponent is going to be Gabriel Fly Miranda, who has plenty of experience entering this one. 21 fights as a pro, and Miranda is on a three-fight win streak. That includes two wins in the space of four weeks, so pretty impressive level of activity there. But... That was for the Face the Danger promotion, who on Tapology have been flagged, potentially for padding records and the likes. So I'm going to be half glass full and say, Gabriel Miranda, the two wins in four weeks, very real. And his credentials are very real. But yeah, it is interesting that his last two wins were for a flagged promotion. That doesn't give me the greatest energy, respectfully. Now, short notice opportunity for Gabriel Miranda. It's on a massive card as well. And he does have the skill set. If there's one thing we know, it's that he does have the skill set to compete against someone like Saint-Denis. Gabriel Fly Miranda is a 32-year-old Brazilian and he trains at MMA Masters. So he's got a very quality gym, Awesome fighters around him, and I think he's going to be very ready for this contest. Gabriel is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and submissions 
are his specialty. Big time. I'll get into the key statistics soon. Big time submission specialist making his UFC debut up against Benoit, God of War, Saint-Denis, 26 years old, fighting out of Paris, France. How good is it going to be when he walks out in front of this Paris crowd? Benoit trains at Woyrin Team Elite, and he is a judo black belt, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, and like Miranda, he is a submission specialist. So stylistically, there's your epic matchmaking there. A Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt in Gabriel Fly Miranda up against a brown belt, but also a black belt in judo, Benoit, God of War, Saint-Denis. High-level grappling is to be expected here. Benoit has a UFC record standing at 1-1, one and one, and he's 1-0 as a lightweight. Benoit has five first-round finishes, but only two takedowns landed from 19 attempts in the UFC. So there are areas to be desired, is the best way. Over a very small sample size across two different divisions, so not the best way to tell. But yeah, that could be something that really foils him because Gabriel Miranda does have high-level takedown defense. Advantages-wise, I think level of competition goes to Benoit Saint-Denis. I think he's got ever so slightly the edge in what should be a close matchup. Stylistically, high-level grappling, as I mentioned, two submission specialists, and I think that's the way it's going to go down. Both these guys are going to be looking to gain superiority and submit the other. And I'm really excited to see how it goes down. High-level grappling, the stylistic highlight. One of the reasons I reckon this is going to be a lot of fun to watch is going to be that home crowd behind Benoit Saint-Denis. First card ever in France. We've got a French fighter, and it's just going to be such a vibe. It's been building for a long time. Mixed martial arts once outlawed in France. Look how far they've come. Benoit Saint-Denis, one of their hometown fighters, and they're going to be fired up. It presents him as a star, and for Saint-Denis, this really is his chance to take that next step on his journey. From someone just entering the UFC to now, if he can make a statement, well, someone who fans are going to continue to learn about. Some fans will have never heard about Benoit Saint-Denis. He's going to be presented as a star. If he can win, well, he's going to win a ton of fans in the process. So it's the chance for Benoit to take that next step. And for Gabriel Miranda, well, there's nothing to lose and there is everything to gain. I'm going to check the pro records now, starting with Benoit Saint-Denis, who enters this one, nine wins, one loss, and one no contest. All nine of the Frenchman's wins have been finishes. That is a big time stat right there. He's another fighter that has that intent. He's not there to be going to decision and pretty much every time he's looking to submit you. Nine wins by finish, five of those coming in the first round and here is the key stat for Benoit Saint-Denis. Eight of nine wins by submission. I think it's very clear in this fight, both guys, where the matchup lies, it's the submission department. 
Eight of nine wins by submission for Benoit Saint-Denis. And the only loss in his career was that UFC short-notice debut up at welterweight. Then you look at the pro record of Gabriel Miranda, who enters this one at 16 wins and 5 losses. Key stat for Gabriel Miranda, 21 pro fights, he has never been submitted. So you look at 8 of 9 wins by submission for Benoit, no submission losses for Miranda across 21 pro fights. I love diving deeper and really working out exactly what makes this match tick. And there you have it. Miranda is a pro when it comes to his submission defense. Four of his five losses coming by way of decision. So he's only been finished once. That was a knockout loss, never been submitted. As far as the wins for Gabriel Miranda, well, get this for a key stat. All 16 of his wins finishes. So these guys hate going the distance. All 16 wins, finishes. That is fucking unbelievable. One knockout. That leads me to my key statistic for Gabriel Miranda, and it's not his one knockout. 15 of 16 wins by submission, 13 of those in the first round. 15 of 16 wins by submission, 13 of 16 wins, first round submissions. This is epic. I genuinely, like, like a lot of people, I love watching the fights where knockouts are more prevalent and the action takes place on the feet. But when it's this high level, I love seeing grappling exchanges. You know that both guys looking to wrap up that sub. 15 of 16 wins, submissions for Gabriel Miranda. 13 first round. It's going to be one hell of a contest. Neither of these men have lost by submission. Boom. It's what I can say right there. Boom, you have your fucking matchup. How good. Uh, now, 11 submission wins for Miranda came in under two minutes. So we don't even have to worry about five minutes. We could be looking at 120 seconds. 11 submission wins for Miranda in under two minutes. Or individually, each fight went less than two minutes. He didn't get 11 in under two minutes. That would have been... Had it been in submitting people every couple of seconds. But 11 submission wins within the first two minutes for Gabriel Miranda. Boom, bam, thank you, ma'am. We have a real banger in terms of the submission, Graham. Graham? Submission Graham, baby. It's going to be a Graham. Don't hate the player, hate the Graham. I'm taking Benoit Saint-Denis. And I'm ultimately just keen to see how this plays out. But I think Benoit Saint-Denis is going to win. I'm going to take him by decision, weirdly enough. Uh, just, yeah, it seems like submission intent's going to be there. It's going to be wild as fuck. Someone probably is going to get submitted. But I'm going to actually, I'm going to say that Benoit Saint-Denis, I think, will have the edge. But I think they'll be closely matched enough for this one to go the distance. So, yeah, this one probably hedge. I think going a submission play makes a ton of sense. But as far as my actual overall official prediction, lightweight action, I'm gonna to go toward the hometown hero, Benoit Saint-Denis over Gabriel Miranda. I'm gonna take this one to go the distance with a couple of hedge bets on the day uh, for submissions. But 
I got to make, you know, dead set prediction. So there it is. Boom, bam. Dead set prediction. Benoit Saint-Denis by decision. So let that sink in. If you're going to put money on it or you forgot what I just said two seconds ago, sink that in to your brain. Benoit Saint-Denis to win by decision and also keep submission somewhere in your mind as well. Sorry to take up some brain space. But don't forget about those submissions, because that's going to be what this fight is all about. But I think they're going to be closely matched. Benoit Saint-Denis by decision. Now let's move on up the card. Up the card, things are going to start heating up. Next, we have a really big time middleweight showdown between the French representative 12th ranked middleweight Nasruddin Imavov as he takes on Joaquin Buckley. For Nasruddin Imavov, he enters on a two fight win streak and he really seems like he's starting to put the right pieces together. Back to back technical knockout wins both in the second round against high level competitors in Edmund Shabazian and Ian Heinish. His opponent this weekend will be Joaquin Buckley, best known for 2020's Knockout of the Year. As an underdog as well, spinning wheel kick knockout. It was absolutely epic, and it really announced Joaquin Buckley as one to watch inside the UFC. Buckley is on a three-fight win streak and holds wins in five of his past six outings. That now advances him to this point where he gets to be matched up against a ranked competitor. Now, for the last three bouts, Buckley has looked really good. Most notably, his recent outing was against Albert Durayev, and Buckley looks sensational. He too really looks like he's starting to put the right pieces together to make a run. For Joaquin, it's a perfect opportunity to break into the division's top 15, and this is one of my fights to watch this weekend. The winner of this contest could realistically get a top 10 opponent next, so as far as the landscape of the middleweight division, and looking at who could eventually break into contention, both these guys are aligned perfectly to make a run. I'm going to jump into the profiles now, starting with Joaquin Newmansa Buckley, the 28-year-old American trains at Mercy Lago MMA, and Joaquin is a knockout specialist. This guy has really heavy hands, and some of the deficiencies in his early career, he seems to be ironing out over his last few outings. I think he's now not just looking for that big highlight finish, although it is high up on the agenda, but he's trying to up his fight IQ, and he's looking to upskill himself in every area. So I'd like to see or I've liked rather seeing the progression of Joaquin Buckley, who has a UFC record that stands at five wins and two losses. Joaquin has 64% takedown fit defense, as well as the slight reach advantage in this one. So if he can really pick his moments and get the better of Nasruddin Amavov on the feet, well, that could really come into play because he has great takedown defense and he's been working really hard on that area of his game. 
So if this one does go to the mat, I think we're going to see the best version of Joaquin Buckley yet. He does have very stiff competition though. He's going to have the home crowd support is Nasuddin and Mavov, the Russian sniper. I guess in this instance, the French sniper. He is a 26-year-old and Nasuddin, he has French nationality. So the crowd are going to be right behind him. He trains in France and he's Russian as well. He's bits of both. You can be more than one thing. So he's representing France. He's representing Russia. And Nasuddin is also representing MMA Factory, where he trains alongside Fernand Lopez and trains with the likes of Cyril Garn, our main event from the heavyweight division, and also William Gomez, who's making his debut on this main card coming up. So Nasuddin representing MMA Factory, huge night for Fernand Lopez and MMA Factory. You'd have to say probably the biggest night in their career, in their history. Given the implications, this card being in France, and they have center stage. So huge night for MMA Factory, who also had a hand in producing Francis Ngannou. Really interesting to see how their fighters go on this card. Imavov is a boxer as well as a wrestler, and he's really been looking quality in the striking as of late, but he does have that wrestling that he can kind of fall back on. So that will be interesting to see how much of this fight takes place on the feet and how many of the wrestling exchanges do we see. Nasuddin has a UFC record standing at three wins and only one loss, that being a decision to Phil Hawes. And Imavov has seven first round finishes. So he's going to have intent right from the word go. You know Joaquin Buckley is going to be up for it. This is one of my highlight fights this weekend. When you think about the direction of the middleweight top 15 as well, uh, right toward that kind of 15th spot, you have Chris Curtis, action man, who still definitely has to defend his spot, but a quality fighter. You've got a guy like Kelvin Gastelum. I'm just going to pull up the rankings now, because um, I know Uriah Hall retired, so there has been some movement. Uh, where are we? Middleweight. Apologies. Uh, just checking out the middleweight division, because obviously for Joaquin Buckley and Nasuddin Amavov, this does have major implications. So I'm going to go through the rankings. 15th, you have Chris Action Man Curtis. And look, he's probably the one that gets bounced out of the rankings here if Joaquin Buckley wins, because he is coming off a loss. But other than that, really impressive form from Chris Curtis. You've got Brad Tavares, who is an excellent test. Really, really durable. Coming off a loss against Dracus Duplessis. Um, but Brad Tavares, just an awesome fighter. I'm a fan. Then you have Dracus Duplessis. Made a few call-outs. Darren Till being one of the names he's mentioned. So realistically, the winner of this we could see matched up with Dracus Duplessis. Nasuddin Amavov in that 12th position. He's got Kelvin Gastelum just in front of him. Andre Muniz, who is definitely one to watch in these rankings. Then you've got someone like a Darren Till. Who, look, he said he wants to fight twice before the end of the year. I There's a lot of tweeting and shit going on. I don't even have Twitter. 
So I'm just like, all right, well, I will, I'll watch this space. When you're fighting Darren Thiel, then I'll talk about it. But yeah, it's, it's been a lot of noise, unfortunately. But Darren Thiel, if he decides to compete, we could see the winner of this fight take on Thiel. Uh, and then the guys a bit further on are probably, yeah, probably out of reach for the winner of this. Maybe not, though. Uh, but we'll see how the division landscape goes. Definitely some interesting fights, but none more so right now than the one we are talking about. Buckley up against Amavov. Huge chance for one of these guys to take a big leap and jump from prospect to contender. Now, the finish factor in this one is high. Both guys love to throw down, so I think they're each going to be looking for a spectacular finish in front of a hot crowd. In terms of the bigger picture, winner of this sets themselves up to slowly but surely try and make a title run. Now, Alex Poetan Pereira, he seems like a beast that very well could be the man to stop Israel Adesanya. Obviously, they have history. But let's say hypothetically, Israel wins that fight. Then all of a sudden, across the whole middleweight landscape, there a lot of guys that Izzy's beaten. He's beaten the guys in the co-main event twice. So he's looking for new people to fight. They are looking for new contenders within the middleweight division. And that presents a great opportunity for both of these guys. In this fight, obviously Nasadin Amavov is going to have that crowd support. And I do think in what could be a very close fight, the home crowd support could be what sways it here in favour of Nasadin. Stylistically, Joaquin Buckley, we know he has knockout intent on the feet. This seems like the kind of card where Joaquin would be looking for a performance of the night to really take that next step, as I've been talking about. And for Nasadin Amavov, I think he's going to be looking to move in and out of Buckley's range. And Nasadin's all about high volume. So I think he's going to go with quantity over maybe quality. But the thing with Nasadine is that it's both. There's a lot of quantity, but a lot of it is quality as well. So Joaquin Buckley, he's going to have to be very careful because Nasadine Amavov is a precise striker. The danger in this one for Nasadine though, is Joaquin Buckley getting off a clean shot because that is all it's going to take to end the fight. Buckley has the knockout power and if an opportunity presents itself, Joaquin Buckley is poised almost perfectly to take that opportunity. Jumping into the pro records, start with Joaquin Buckley, who enters this one with a record that stands at 15 wins and 4 losses. The key stat for Buckley, 11 of his 15 wins have come by way of knockout, 4 of those in the first round. 11 knockout wins, 4 decisions. So Buckley, as I said, there's going to be knockout intent, and all it takes from him is one clean shot. The key statistic in terms of the losses for Joaquin Buckley, three of his four losses have come by way of knockout. Now, if an opportunity presents itself for him to win by knockout, as I mentioned, he can definitely be poised to take it. But the thing for Buckley is it's kind of like he either wins by knockout or loses by knockout the majority of the time. And if he's waiting for the right chance, 
but he can't capitalize. He's kind of the fighter that he will start to present chances himself to get knocked out. And Nasadin Amavov, as I mentioned, a very precise striker. Now, six of Buckley's seven UFC fights have ended in a knockout, either win or loss. So whilst I think this one definitely could go the distance, I'm feeling a banger here. And I'm feeling like one of these guys is going to take a giant leap forward in this division. So I'm going to say right now, I'm going to take this one not to go the distance. But before I make my official prediction, I'm going to check the record as well of Nasadin Amavov, which stands at 11 wins and 3 losses going into this one. And he's in career best form, so that also has to be noted. Key statistic for Nasadin Amavov, as I mentioned, I think this one stops inside the distance. Amavov has 9 of his 11 wins finishing inside the distance, 7 of those in the first round. Overall wins for Nasadin Amavov, he has 5 knockouts, 4 submissions, which it's got to be mentioned, no submission wins for Buckley, so that could be a discrepancy where Nasadin Amavov could definitely take an edge, and 2 decision wins for Amavov, but as I mentioned, 9 of 11 wins are finishes, I think this one ends inside the distance, and the key stat, which I think gives the ultimate edge here, no knockout losses for Nasadin Amavov. He's lost once by submission, twice by decision, no knockout losses for Amavov. And then you look at Joaquin Buckley and that trend of kind of knockout or be knocked out, and the majority of Buckley's losses have come by way of knockout. And I don't want to get too crunching the numbers level, but no knockout losses for Amavov. I think this one ends inside the distance. I'm going to take Nasadin Imavov by knockout. Not sure exactly how he's going to get it done, but he really does seem to be advancing at a rapid rate. It's a huge night for MMA Factory. I think that home crowd is going to add an extra edge as well. Nasadin Imavov, he's ranked 12th, Buckley unranked. This is Nasadin's first test to defend his position inside the rankings. And then from there, he could go on to a top 10 opponent next. He may even find himself in the top 10. So huge performance for Nasadin Imavov. And ever so slightly, in what is a huge danger matchup for him, I can see either of these guys winning. Like I can definitely see Joaquin Buckley taking this one, but I'm not going to fence it. I'm going to say when it comes down to it, I'm throwing my money behind Nasadin Imavov, and I'm going to take him by knockout. I think Buckley, it's knockout or be knocked out. That's, I guess, how I'll summarize this one. Taking Nasadin Mavov over Joaquin Buckley by knockout. Could it be in the first round? Who knows? Maybe I will have a play around with what round I decide. Could be second round. Uh, a, a lot of fence sitting and being like, oh, it could go this way. But yeah, I do. I think about these deeply, how they could go. So I really do see multiple ways, but Nasadin Imavov by knockout. Let's get on to our next contest. Next up, we have got two European stars on show. Big spotlight position for them as well. Lightweight division action as French superstar in front of his home crowd, 
Faris Smilekilizium welcomes Polish standout Michael Figluck to the Octagon. I'll start with Fares Ziam, the Frenchman, who has gone 2-2 two two over his first four UFC starts. Fares had a debut loss up against Don Madge, but then he collected two very impressive wins back-to-back over Jamie Malaki and Luigi Vendramini. Most recently, though, Fares Ziam had a big-time matchup against Terence McKinney, and he was submitted early in the first round. Now, McKinney is a top prospect, so Ferrisium doesn't lose a ton of stock with that, but he's had some great wins, and he's had some average losses. So he really needs a win here, and it's a great opportunity, given that the French fans are going to be right behind their man. He's chasing a win on home soil, and he's got a very interesting matchup here in the undefeated Polishman, Michael Figlak. He had a good run in Cage Warriors, undefeated under that banner, against him definitely in terms of regional scenes or outside of the UFC on the come up. Very strong competition under that Cage Warriors banner. He trains in England. This will be his UFC debut. And look, I watched tape and I'm also of Polish heritage, so definitely going for Figluck in this one. But in terms of watching the tape, I think Phariseum keeps a much faster pace. Figluck, respectfully, I wasn't super entertained. So I'm still cheering him on because of the Polish factor. And he's shown a lot of potential. He's undefeated. But the fights weren't... I don't know. I guess he was just up against high-level competition and the like, but... Yeah, I'm not expecting this to be a fight of the night. I'll put it that way. But still, nonetheless, really keen to see how it goes down. We've got Michael Figluck, nicknamed Mad Dog, the 26-year-old from Poland. He trains at Trojan Free Fighters. His style seems to be very slow and steady, a slower pace, as I mentioned. But he does utilize his grappling well. And he's able to really kind of just shut down what his opponents try to throw at him. Has a great defensive mind. And yeah, he does rely on that wrestling. But the slower pace, I don't know why. That was just kind of the vibe I got from all the tape I was watching. UFC debut though. So now he's on the big stage. And this is our best opportunity to see what Figlak is truly about. Then you have the hometown hero, Fares Ziam. Nicknamed Smile Killer. He's 25 years old from France, so massive home crowd support, and Fares trains at Killcliffe FC, formerly known as Sanford. Fares is a Muay Thai specialist, really good in terms of his kickboxing, and is also a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu practitioner. Fares, I mentioned it before, has a UFC record that stands at two wins, two losses. But when he wins, he can make it spectacular. Five first-round finishes in the pro career of Fares Ziam. As far as the matchup itself, I think the finish factor is low. I'm expecting it. Most likely to go to decision. I do wonder for Figluck, is he going to have any octagon jitters? Cage Warriors a great preparation for him. So I think he'll be well prepared to kind of step onto this big stage 
But octagon jitters are a real thing. Trust me, I felt them strong in my UFC debut. But the home crowd as well, they're going to be rooting for Faris Ziam. And they're going to be against Michael Figlak. So there is going to be that element as well. How is he going to handle the pressure against a Frenchman that is desperate to get back in the winner's column? Figlak is looking to extend his undefeated run to nine straight for Ressiam trying to get that win and trying to take that zero from Figlak. Once again, we have a very intriguing stylistic matchup. I'll jump into the pro records now. Faris Siam with a record standing at 12 wins and four losses. Key statistic for Fares, nine stoppages from his 12 wins. So he really likes to get the finish and it'll be huge if he can defeat an undefeated prospect and earn the stoppage. Five first round finishes for Ziam and overall he has five knockouts, four submissions and three decision wins. Then looking at the losses for Fares, now the key statistic for his losses is that three out of four of them have come by way of submission with one decision loss as well. So Fares has never been knocked out three of his four losses coming by way of submission. So the interesting note there is that Michael Figlak, 8-0 undefeated, has no submission victories. So that area that has been there to be exploited is no longer there. He's never been knocked out, and submissions, like, that's the key to really submit Faris Siam. Michael Figlak has shown that's not the way he likes to go in a fight. He has four knockout wins, four decisions. Fares Siam has no knockout losses. So the path to victory here for Figlak seems to be a 15-minute decision win and just really have the better of the exchanges throughout the whole contest. That also plays into what I've seen over the extensive tape I've done on Michael Figlak is it seems if he wins, it's by decision. I think if Fares Siam wins, it's going to be by finish. So that will balance it itself out evenly. There's going to be some finish intent, but I do think both guys need to keep in mind that this one can definitely go the distance and you've got to win two out of those three rounds, preferably all three rounds, even more preferably a big finish. Now, in my opinion, I'm cheering for Figlak. The French crowd are cheering for Fares Ziam. And it's been tricky to work out which way this is going to go. But I'm going to, in the end, back my guy, given that, yeah, Polish heritage. So just, yeah, patriotic vibes, I guess. But I also think Figlak, whilst I'm more excited, to be honest, about watching Fares Ziam, his fights have been more entertaining to watch, checking out the tape. I'm going to go with Michael Figlak. And as I mentioned, I think his path to victory is to win by decision. So I'm taking this one to go the distance. Might even do a side bet of just will this fight go the distance? Yes. And in this lightweight contest, I'm going to go with the undefeated Polishman, Michael Figlak, by decision. I think he extends his unbeaten run to nine. And then they'll really matchmake him with someone strong. Say, like, if you want to go double digits, well, you're going to have to face that next step up. 
Farisiam, though, he cannot take his eyes off the prize. He's got to get past the Frenchman first. Otherwise, it's all for nothing. You are 8-1, and one, and you've got to pick up the pieces. Should be an interesting fight. Not my prediction for fight of the night, respectfully, but I'm going to take the Polishman. Michael Figlak by decision. We've got one more to go, I believe. Uh, don't fact check me on that. I think we've got one more fight on this preliminary portion. And that would be middleweight action. So I'll jump to that in a moment. Of course, part two, the main card preview and predictions, that will be dropping tomorrow. So if you're listening to this now and you want to hear my main card picks, that will be out very soon. Going to record it straight after this. And for the main card, usual tradition is prelims. I'm a little bit more all over the place. Uh, I've repeated my predictions a lot, been like Michael Figlak by decision, repeated a couple of things. So yeah, main card, I really try to focus in, clean all that up. I'll just, yeah, make it a bit more to the point and hit my points better as well. So I always try to channel the best version of my podcasting self for the main card. Prelims, a little bit more loosey-goosey. It's just how we do it here at Not Just a Sports Report unconventional style and also additional to part two the main card picks there are the thoughts and comments podcast this weekend straight after the card so i'm gonna sit down 2 a.m in the morning watch the whole card and yeah give my predictions or I've give, i'm giving my predictions now lucy goosey mode activated give you my thoughts on everything that's gone down so a lot of questions being asked on these two podcasts, preview and predictions, we're going to have some answers on the weekend. And so I'll talk about those with hindsight. We'll talk about what's next for some of the big winners and what could be next even for some of the losers. So we'll see how that goes. Thoughts and comments. Do not forget that kicking off this weekend and best way to stay up to date with all things, not just a sports report is to either follow us on Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report, or you can just follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on, and you'll be able to see as soon as all of these podcasts drop. But we've still got a fight to go on this UFC Paris prelims portion. There we go, a lot of prelims portion Paris. Sorry, fucking don't even know what I'm talking about. I've gone full loosey-goosey. It's time to screw my head back on. Brain mode activated. Let's get on to the feature prelim. Cowboys, let's get amongst our featured prelim. Taking place in the middleweight division with a real flavor of the German mixed martial arts scene as the general consensus number one German fighter on that regional scene, the one that as a middleweight has always been thought of as the guy making his official UFC debut, Abus Magomedov, as he takes on Dustin Stoltzfus, who has more UFC fights under his belt and not the greatest record so far for Stoltzfus. He got his contract on Dana White's Contender Series, defeating Joe Pfeiffer who very relevant to the Dana White's Contender Series discussion. But then Stoltzfus just couldn't get that going on the UFC level. Three straight losses to kick off his UFC run. 
all to decent level opponents. You had Kyle Dorcas, Rodolfo Vieira, and Gerald Mearshart, all much more submission or grappler wrestlers kind of vibes. Grappler wrestlers, gee whiz, that's a new double combination. Um, but Stoltzfus, this time he's up against a striker in Magomedov. And Dustin, he was always kind of working his way up to being the best guy on that German scene. And Abus Magomedov was the benchmark. So in many ways, this fight has been a long time in the making. And Dustin Stoltzfus, he gets this opportunity to fight in France coming off his first UFC win. So confidence much higher. He was on the Long Island card recently where he got the unanimous decision win over Dwight Grant. It's a very fast turnaround for Stolzfus, but it is close to home. He only has to travel from Germany to France and it's going to be a really great position for him given that this is a card that's going to have plenty of eyes on it. Huge for not just the French mixed martial arts community, but the European MMA community as a whole, this is in the spotlight position. Huge chance for Dustin Stoltzfus to say, I'm the number one middleweight in this German region, potentially go on to become one of the best in the European region. And this is all on the biggest stage under the UFC lights. He's taking on Abus Magomedov, who signed with the UFC in August last year. Since then, Magomedov has had several bouts scrapped. He has not fought since, I think, like 2020. It's been a while. He hasn't fought since he signed his deal. So a lot of different bouts scrapped. He finally gets his debut. And I guess he's best known for being a PFL finalist back in 2018, where he was knocked out. He got fucking crunched very early in the first round in the PFL middleweight final. Round one knockout loss to Lewis Taylor, who definitely capable of producing big knockouts. That was also the last fight of his career. But yeah, Abbas Magomedov, he had that PFL final, the downfall there. But since then, he's achieved back-to-back submission wins, leading to this, his big moment, his UFC debut. Which one of these two are going to walk away as Germany's best middleweight? Well, we're going to dive a little bit deeper and try to find out. I'll start with the profile. Yeah, fuck it. I won't won't have to edit that out. We got that out there. Profile. Abus Magomedov, 31 years old. And he won't just be representing Germany, but also Russia. So plenty of fan support going to be behind this guy. He trains at UFC gym, and Magomedov is a striker, very high-level striker, great power in his hands, and he is pumped for his UFC debut. I saw there was a video on YouTube, Road to the UFC, went for about an hour, and it was about Abus Magomedov, and I didn't end up watching it. I thought about it, but I was like, do I really want to commit? I've already committed a couple of hours to my tape, to my study, It's only a prelims, no disrespect to the prelims, but I was like, should I spend an hour watching this YouTube video? And I didn't, but he's been building. It's obviously a really big deal to Magomedov and having an hour long YouTube video about your road to the UFC, that leads me to believe you're coming in hot. You're coming in to make a 
big statement and achieve the finish on debut. Won't be easy though against Dustin Stoltzfus, who is a 30-year-old representing both Germany as well as the United States. Dustin trains at Frank's fight team, and he's a wrestler, but he trains in a variety of different styles, and he's been, I uh, listened to an interview, he has been doing a lot of extensive grappling work, but also, as some kind of helicopter or something flies by, Dustin has been really trying to upskill himself in the striking department, so if he does lean towards the striking in this one, well, this is going to be one hell of an explosive featured prelim. Stoltzfus enters France this weekend with a UFC record standing at one win and three losses, but he is coming off that one UFC win. He's had a much higher level of activity as well, and this could be a really great stepping stone for Stoltzfus to say, don't forget about me, don't write me off, a lot of hype behind Magomedov, but Dustin Stoltzfus could very well steal that thunder this weekend. Their paths for the longest time have seemed destined to cross. Lots of crowd support for both. This is going to be a really fun fight to take us from the prelims and really start to warm us in to the main card. Now, it's going to be stylistically very interesting because I do expect some wrestling in this one, but Stoltzfus, he's been leaning into the striking. Does he want to strike with Magomedov? That seems very dangerous. And I'm going to go Abus Magomedov by knockout. I just, and the YouTube video swayed me, to be honest, if I have to put it out there. Having an hour-long road to the UFC journey. I was like, yep, fuck, well, he's obviously pumped up. Stoltzfus pumped up as well, but he's not renowned for his striking. He's not the biggest threat in terms of wrestling either. And listening to his interviews, like, he was excited, but... He definitely wasn't like an hour-long production YouTube video excited levels. And Abus Magomedov is. And I think that mindset, Magomedov's just going to be that much more ready to make a statement. So I'm taking Abus Magomedov over Dustin Stolzfus by knockout slash technical knockout. I think Abus, now, this is, sometimes I just do unconventional, you know, things. And YouTube videos and production levels can come into that. So an hour-long YouTube video is what has truly swayed me here. I think Abbas Megamedov is G'd up. And I think he wins by knockout in our featured prelim. So there you have it. Megamedov by knockout. Those were all six preliminary card fights broken down and my picks at the end of them. So now that you have all my prelims picks, well, there's only one thing left to do. That is to turn our attention to a stacked main card. I'm going to make sure the podcast edited a little bit more and really iron out some of the flaws from this prelims podcast. A little bit more loosey-goosey. Main card switched on. Some huge fights, none more so than the heavyweight main event. Tai Bam Bam Tuivasa up against Saril Bongamin Gan. It's going to be huge, quite literally. Big co-main event as well. Some other interesting fights across that main card. So I'm going to be doing the same thing I did here, giving you a preview, giving you my predictions, and then on Sunday Australian time, 
We will, of course, have the UFC Live Reactions Thoughts and Comments podcast. That has been it, though, for the prelims portion. We now turn our attention to the main. So until that podcast comes out, thank you for listening and take care of yourselves. Thank <laughs> you.